0: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
1: Attention, listeners! We are going to do a mailbag episode, so write in your questions at me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at m o a s pod, or write me an email at motherofallshows.com, and me and a special guest will answer your questions. An Ereo's original. This is the mother of all shows, a deep dive into motherhood and parenting with comedy and no sleep. I'm your caffeinated host, Kimmy Gatewood. I'm also a comedian, director, and tired mother of a four-year-old. Now get ready to don your burgundy uniform while drinking from a communal fountain and boning your guru, because today we are going to discuss communes. Motherhood can be isolating, unexpectedly isolating. And especially during those early days when you're shushing a newborn in the glow of a nightlight on a yoga ball, they can be the worst. And sometimes in those dark hours, 3 a.m. I would fantasize about maybe living on a commune. You know, a place where me and my like-minded gal pals could share in the triumphs and tribulations that parenting can bring? A place where we can let our saggy milk boobs flow in the breeze while having adult conversation over a glass of organic wine. A place where we can share meals and chores and husbands. No? No, that's too far. Maybe... So uh, this is a real thing. New communal living spaces or intentional communities have been popping up in cities all over the country, including Syracuse, where I went to school, Los Angeles, where I currently live, and San Francisco, where I could never afford to live. So I don't know. Could I actually live on a commune? What are the realities of that? I wanted to find out. So I talked with one woman who was raised in a commune and another one who is raising her kids on one currently. But first, I spoke to my good friends, writer-actor Rebecca Johnson and TV and comic book writer Amanda Diver. We are all parents to four-year-olds working comedy and they don't know this, but they are my first draft picks for my own commune dream team. When you hear the word commune, what are your thoughts?
2: When I hear the word commune, I mean, I I immediately conjure up the stereotypical vibes of, like, I imagine naked people with long hair, like, raising their own chickens and, like, herb garden (laughs) style. I mean, that's just what, when I I hear the word, that's immediately where I go. (laughs) Yeah, I I think, like, 1960s, like, what was it? The Source Family, that documentary where they're all, like, just, you know, free love and then having these crazy natural births while some people are on acid and (laughs) (laughs) raising vegan food and you know and there's a guru (laughs) for sure I've definitely
1: fantasized about the the commune and just on like my first instinct I was like
2: yes that would be
1: amazing we all Mm -hmm. live in the same neighborhood we're all together and then I start to really break it down and I start to have a lot more questions about do we become this homogenized community do we lack diversity? Do we lack diversity of thought? Or is it better to like, we've all decided that, like religion, we've all decided that this is what we commonly believe in. So like, this is okay. I don't know. I have a lot of questions about it, but I also think that do communes share many characteristics with cults or religion?
2: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I and I think that like a cult, there's more, I think like the, even with, definition wise, there's more like control and there's like someone kind of controlling and you isolate from like the people you didn't, that you knew that aren't in the cult. That would not be appealing, obviously. And I think that could be a slippery slope. Um, I don't think that they come in being like, okay, and now immediately say goodbye to your parents and everyone you knew before. But I feel like that would be obviously, you know, the downside of an extreme Version of a commune or a cult, yeah. Um, And religion, though there is elements of that. Like, not that you can't talk to other people, but how many people just only know their own, like people who are of their own religion. Yes, there's a lot of people,
1: and that you know, even just politics have isolated us too. The way religion Mm -hmm. kind of has that we won't talk to our family members who are, you know, Republican Trump voters. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know it's they, they, just like those philosophies are becoming who they are the fabric of them and that is what kind of sucks about it. So I had the pleasure of talking with a woman who grew up in a religious commune, a small Hutterite community in rural South Dakota. I met her because I played her mother in a short film called Hutterite, currently making the festival circuit. And we spoke about the highs and lows of growing up in a Hutterite colony. Here's my chat with Elizabeth
3: Flynn. I was born in a Hutterite colony uh, in South Dakota at New Elm Springs Colony and the community that I grew up was about 150 people, 10 to 15 families. For those of you who don't know about the Hutterites, they are a religious group that evolved at about the same time as the Reformation and are very strict pacifists who believe that in order to, um can we stop a second? Oh, of course, yes, of course. I'm sorry. No,
1: it's fine.
3: (laughs) And Just some interesting memories.
1: I know that you've definitely talked about this Uh a ton. And I appreciate you talking about it
3: again.
1: (laughs) Elizabeth got emotional at this point. I could see a lot of memories flying through her brain, both positive and negative. And I know from Becca, her daughter that it was a really
3: special time in their life, but also a really hard time in their life. They believe that their salvation depends on living communally. And so what the Hutterites are, uh, are a group of people who live and have all things in common, all their material goods are shared, and they base their lifestyle on Acts 2, verse 42 and following, where uh, all who came together shared what they had with those who were in need. And so it's really a form of Chris of Christian communism. The really beautiful part about that lifestyle is really centered around women and childbearing, where they when I was growing up at least, there were there was not a lot of need to go for prenatal checks and they didn't really pay much attention to their care before. But for six weeks after the baby was born, the the moms and the aunts and the sisters or whichever a relative the mom was felt closest to would come and for six weeks they would stay in the house with the mom and help with all the other kids if there were other kids and the woman was excused from working in the colony work details for that six weeks the only attention she needed to provide was for that newborn infant. In In the Hutterite community, there's a rotation of work mm-hmm. so that you're not always taking care of the children. You're not always doing the cooking. You're not always, because you'll rotate in, and depending on the size of the community, if you have enough workers, it might be once every month or once every six weeks, or it might be longer in intervals before you have to cook a meal. But when you do cook that meal, it's a week worth of cooking <laughs> that you do. And it's for the entire community, oh which is anywhere from a hundred to 150 individuals. Wow.
1: So for like, I mean, obviously a Eight they don't have Netflix, but I imagine like if <laughs> in a modern day commune, you could cook for a week, but then you could
3: just like catch up on all the binge watching for the yes. rest of the three weeks. You know? Well, what, what you would do in in the traditional community is that the weeks that you're off, they sew all their clothes, everything they wear. They do a lot of craft type things. They make rugs. They knit. They do a lot of handwork. That's mostly the women. The, the women, community. yes. Mm-hmm. And In addition to doing their work at home and and the work of raising the children, the women also do all the canning and all the food preparation. Those are all tasks that are women's work mm -hmm. in the colony.
1: So like everything.
3: Like everything, yeah. (laughs)
1: Literally everything that you need to sustain life. I'm familiar with it because I talked a lot about it with your daughter and... There are obvious negatives to this kind of living.
3: Not everybody wants to be a housewife. Not everybody wants to be content to just have everything provided for them. Mm -hmm. And I was one of those people that was not content to just sit and be a part of the colony. And I really wanted an education. It never occurred to me that I was going to leave and spend the rest of my life not living communally. I only left to get an education. And once I had obtained that education, there was no way that I could ever go back. A fact about Hutterites is that they are only educated
1: up until eighth grade. Some of them leave to continue their education in trade school, but that's more common for boys than girls. So it was a big deal Elizabeth left to get
3: educated. Once you leave, are you not welcome back? It depends on the colony, and it depends on the individual circumstances, and it also depends on if you had been baptized as a member into that community. Mm -hmm. They shun those people who have had an adult baptism to become part of the colony. Mm -hmm. They make it very difficult for them to come and be around other Hutterites, but in my in my situation, I had not yet I was about to go and get baptized and then I decided I was going to leave instead.
1: So the benefits sound great in terms of communal living and like in terms of things being provided for you. Mm-hmm. But the things the the flip side of it, it's all it's all in a good intention, but it sounds like it's
3: very well intentioned, mm-hmm. but if you go beyond Needing a roof over your head and clothes, clothes in your body and your family fed. I really needed to be my, my spirit really needed something. And I was not getting that nourishment where I was living. I left first. And then I was almost done with my uh, year of I went to LPN school before I went on to university for for my RN degree. And I was almost done. I had three more months of school left when my mom came and she said, I can't live there anymore. It's just gotten to the point where there's so much tension and so much strife that I cannot live there anymore. Yes. And so I told her she had to go to school. (laughs) (laughs) She said, you just can't go out and not have an education. So I just put her in the car and we enrolled her in school. She had to get her GED before she could get into any schooling. And a couple weeks later, my father also left, and he brought all the kids with him. He had found a job, and uh, they lived on a little farm in a little trailer with a, eight children. And how old was your mother when she had children? I My mom had me when she was 20. She got married at 19. She had me when she was 20. And then she had a child for the next how many years there's 17 years in between the youngest and the, the oldest and the youngest in our family so about every 18 months she had a oh god she gave birth to a child she was 36 when she had her 10th child if a woman wanted to limit her family size it, she had to have a medical reason for not having more children and it had to be approved by the colony leadership
1: Ah, so that's interesting. So women don't actually have control over their own bodies even. Now, do you think the idea of communes is a good thing or a bad thing?
3: I think it's a very beautiful way of life, but I also think it needs to have more openness and more freedom to choose Mm -hmm. without the consequences and the guilt that is heaped on individuals who leave. Because I believe that God is a universal God. He isn't just in a little Hutterite colony in a little (laughs) prairie town in South Dakota. He is everywhere. And I don't believe that because I left the colony and changed the way I dress that I am less of a child of God than people who are raised in a colony.
1: What I took away from speaking to Elizabeth is that a harsh religious commune is not something that would interest me. But other people have tried many different ideas. However, I just think the idea of a commune is kind of based on an unrealistic utopian ideals, where like in the Hunterites, the women do the wash and cook and clean and take care of children and the men farm and carpenter and manufacturer but many have tried and failed for example frank Lloyd writes Usonia in the 1940s had problems sustaining due to money the farm in tennessee which was known for its birthing centers and couldn't get their plumbing together or their mental health issues and the recent artist commune founded by zappos tony shea which was taken down by you know what i didn't even follow up with it because what happens in vegas stays in vegas The point is the realities of a commune are much more complicated than we think. The utopia doesn't necessarily equal sustainability. So these experiments in communal living are great in theory, but many end up shit-filled and destitute, covered in broken dreams. posted on my Facebook moms group if anyone had any experience living communally expecting no one to respond and i was pleasantly surprised to find out that someone does and i spoke to her over skype so i could make sure she wasn't tangled in a sex cult and you know what she isn't and her clothes were on and so were mine but i'm not wearing anything right now anyway stephanie willoughby is a beautiful person and i thank her for being vulnerable and sharing her life on the other side of the country with her neighbor slash commune members.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
4: And I am married to my husband, Matt. And we've got three kids, Grayson, who is nine, Jude, who's six, and Lady, who is three. We live in New Jersey. And we live in a pretty, like, I don't know, like a cool little community about 13 miles outside of the city. And on my block across the street from me are my friends, Sharba and Chris. And they're three kiddos who are generally the same ages. And then next door is my other friend, Ruth and her husband, Mark, and their three kiddos. The three of our families make up our, um, like, modern-day commune.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about how it all started?
4: I can. You know, it's interesting. It was was really organic. It wasn't something that we set out to do. Ruth would make dinner, and then we'd all come, and then the next night, Sharba would make dinner, and we'd all come, and then I'd make dinner, and we'd all be there. And so just, it sort of started just because we were always together. Once we felt, I think, really comfortable with each other, then it was, it kind of bled into other things, um, like their nannies, um, who became family to those women, um, then also became family to myself and my children. So if we needed help, if somebody was running late for work and kids needed to be dropped off, it was easy enough for us to rely on each other. Just over the course of time, it became more than just having dinner with each other. It also just became, you know, kiddos and talking about all sorts of life stuff. And then later down the road, it became vacations. And now it just sort of has a flow that we don't really question. You all don't
1: live together. You each have your own house and own finances.
4: For us, we each bought our houses independent of knowing each other. Each family owns our home. And we do not exchange finances at all. Nobody else is responsible for my mortgage or my gas bill, or nor am I responsible for theirs. We do often buy each other dinners. Like if we're doing takeout, whoever ordered will kind of take that on, and sometimes we'll pay each other back. But a lot of times, it's like you kind of remember if you you know the last time you paid for dinner, so I might pick up this Friday because sharp I had last. So there's things like that, you know, but that's about as far as it goes. So if we go on vacation, we'll keep track of who bought groceries versus who paid for the house versus who paid for skiing.
1: When you're hanging out with like, I don't know, coworkers or whoever, and you start talking about your basically brothers and sisters of, you know, like how do you refer
4: to them and how, how, what do people think? What's the reaction? I think that people in general think it's kind of neat and maybe a little bit special, but I don't know that they're ever going to say to us, like, this is super weird. Nobody's ever been that, like, open about their feelings on it, except for maybe my brother, who thinks it's completely crazy. The truth is, nothing is as much fun individually. It's always much more fun together. That would probably be, like, the only downside to this way of life, is that you're constantly aware you're missing, like, 10 other people that make your life more fun, you know, and if you're missing those 10 people, everything is automatically like just a little bit dimmer. We take on everything like a family would, except that we're not like resentful toward each other. (laughs) And we're way like higher functioning. (laughs) Like, we're like, you know, like we have we if we have a confrontation of sorts, it's like, talked about we've planted it out we're kind to one another and there's no expectation right there's no expectation that I have of them or that they have of me so it's just really pure if I could choose I would still choose my commune family
1: I think the thing that shocked me most about motherhood um was that I was suddenly like it's so it the isolation is something that they don't put in the brochures No, they're Mm -hmm. like no you're making a friend you're like no my whole life <laughs> has changed and every time yeah I'm sure every time you add one the life changes even more these huge mm. transitions and then to have people who understand that I'm sure is really uh helpful and important you know
4: like, oh my gosh 100 percent I mean yeah and the thing is those kiddos they will go on and live their own lives this is like the only part of my life that I know continues with them in it and like while they go on and pursue their own lives mm-hmm. like I kind of have to these relationships are what like I'll have these daily more so than I'll even have my children come the future um, you know so it's like something that's mine like wine I feel the same <laughs> way about like <letting> wine
1: <laughs> would someone consider not taking a job somewhere or leaving because you of the, the relationship you three have
4: together I know for us, that would be a hard yes. Like, I think for, I would say two out of the three families, that's absolutely, like, would not even consider it. I would say, though, that though it would be hard for the other family to actually leave if they felt like it was in the best interest of themselves, like financially or for their kids. They would make that decision and I think that they would go on. I'm not saying it would be easy for them, but I think that just the dynamic of that particular household and, you know, the jobs that they have, the careers that they've chosen, I guess it's a possibility for any of us, but I I only say that because my family and one of the other families have our own businesses that are based here, so we can't really leave without leaving a whole lot of money on the table and then having to start over. I think for the other family, their jobs are a little bit more fluid in that they could potentially be asked to go someplace else. And then they would have to make that decision for themselves. They don't have the same ties here. And it would break my heart in half. I know it would break their heart in half, but it is different because like, you still have your career and your objectives. And we would definitely all understand that. But I hope, that that day never comes. And I think they feel really strongly that they would like to stay here, like that this is home. Where do you see
1: the, the future of the three families?
4: I see the future of our three families retiring together. In my fantasy world, like we would own some some pretty big pieces of property where we would still have our own space, but it would probably be like one piece of property together. I would like to move to, like, a farm town in West Jersey with my chickens and my commune and, like, raise animals and be super happy with, like, pygmy goats. But no one else shares this vision. (laughs) I've asked them. I bring it up every week. I'm like, so you guys, what do you think about? And they're all like, no, no, no no one's interested in that. But (laughs) we are interested in remaining neighbors and together, I think, as much as we can. I hope that in the end, you know, we'll find a good compromise and that maybe that'll be a shore town or maybe that will be someplace that's not New Jersey at all. But I don't want to go anywhere where they aren't. Like, I just feel like they're my tribe. You know, they're my people. i Wouldn't trade them for anything. Not now, not ever, not before. Like, I'm glad to be traveling through space and time with them. And I'm glad that they chose me too.
1: Wow. I mean, if Stephanie was trying to recruit me, it worked. Honestly, it doesn't sound like the bad elements of a commune at all that I was worried about. I mean, free meals, free babysitting, free Netflix. Yeah, they share passwords. Sorry, Stephanie. Please, nobody call the FBI. Either way, I am down. As long as they don't expect me to do any of the work in return, do you think they'd be cool with that? If so, I'm in. Make some room in the cul-de-sac, baby. seriously i think we all aspire to find community that's the whole point of humanity but especially as a parent of young children you feel weird and lonely sometimes your cool childless friends may not want to hear about your daughter's poop chart but if they were in a commune with you they'd have to it would be one of the rules i did have one last question for amanda and rebecca do you think that ultimately all communes will end up being a sex cult (laughs)
2: I hope not
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like at what point Do the children leave The parents are there By themselves They're like What are we gonna do You know I've always wanted To fuck that guy (laughs) When does it become Weird sex cult
2: (laughs) Oh I mean Like I mean If we're just talking About close proximity And do I think That like swinging And key parties And affairs Would run rampant Absolutely (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if all of them will become that. but And specifically, like, you know, if one person, one guy starts raising his status high enough and starts being like, all the wives have to sleep with me in order to get your weekly cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very dairy-centric
1: cult. <laughs> very dairy-centric. It's a lot about like- <laughs> cheese in this cult. Yeah. <laughs> because... You know, when you introduce children into communal living, like Mm -hmm. you say, it's important to have a community. And I think that's what um, what a lot of new moms suffer from is they don't have a community Mm -hmm. around them to say it's going to be okay. I support you. It's like having an awesome support group around you constantly because it feels so scary Um, when i think about communal living with like single people or you know younger people we used to do that all the time Mm and you know camp and college whatever like we would do that and it it is truly awesome but then i think eventually it becomes like bachelor or big brother (laughs) i just think we're all gearing toward when you live in a house and are sharing a bunch of stuff it's you're gonna everybody's gonna start fucking right (laughs) after all of this knowledge of communes. Would I join a commune? No, not really, I wouldn't. Would I hire a full staff to take care of my every whim? Yes, I absolutely would. I'd get me a butler, a maid, a nanny, and a chef, and a butcher, and a baker, and a candlestick maker for fun. Maybe even a masseuse. But the only happy endings I would want are from my husband. What a lucky guy. (laughs) I love my family. to thank my panel Rebecca Johnson and Amanda Dybert. You can follow Rebecca at hellorebecca and Amanda at Amanda Diebert official. I'd like to thank my special guests Elizabeth Flynn and Stephanie Willoughby. This podcast is produced by Jen Perilini, written by Rebecca Johnson, music by Jerome Kurtenbach and edited by Veronica Ruba. Additional editing by Amanda Lund. I am proud to be a part of the Erios Network. Thank you for listening to Our Second Child. This is the one that you let eat Cheerios off the floor while your first one sneezes on her. And I hope you liked it. Please subscribe and rate The Mother of All Shows on Apple, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It will really help us, like a frozen lasagna when you're two weeks postpartum. We will have links to the topics and resources we discussed today on our website. Thanks for listening. When you feel like you're faking it, you're doing it just right. See you next time. Do you know if you can get grape juice out of a silk blazer?
4: Ereos. Powered by Acast. Hold up. What was that?